At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to The Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to The Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of the Commonwealth Policy Center. Uh, with me is Ron Hicks, uh, pastor of Henderson Memorial Baptist Church. Ron, welcome to the program, man. Thank you, Richard. I wish I had a great title like yours. Huh. I, if I was the executive director or something, that was that's great. Titles, How you doing, buddy? Yeah, doing well, man. Hey, uh, good, titles good. don't really mean a whole lot. It's really it's what you do and <laughs> it's what you what, what's going on behind the scenes, really. But uh, hey, uh, hey, brother, we, we, I, we appreciate what you do. Well, thank you, and I appreciate what you do on the front lines, uh, pastoring a local church, really working through uh, life with people who have real needs and real hurts and. And uh, and you're there. Uh, and I, by the way, I don't Thank think you. people like you or pastors in general are appreciated enough. Uh, I think they're undervalued. So maybe we Thank need to you. maybe that we need to do a promo or something, a thirty second PSA <laughs> on the station. You say love your pastor, love I, your pastor, pray for your pastor. Yeah, <laughs> we well. do. Well, hey, Ron, uh, we live in a time of great division politically. Yes, sir, obviously, politically, we just came through a very bitter election. But we, we're divided religiously, um, spiritually, morally. Uh, yeah. oh, this yeah. is the, the greatest time in my life where we have had uh, the, the greatest division ever. Um, not just division in how we think and what we believe in, but also there's a division in the institutions, that really the, the way we think about our institutions. When I say that, I'm talking about like the government, um, like education, um, the church, the church is an institution. It's much bigger than that, but at least it's an institution. Uh, so according to a Gallup poll last year, only 13% of Americans have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in Congress. 41% have very little confidence in Congress. So, I mean, that's one of our important institutions that uh, used to have higher standing with the people. Uh, mm -hmm. But it doesn't. And we saw pr one of the things I never thought I'd see in my life, and that was the really the storming of the Capitol building uh, just uh, the other week. And uh, it's kind of frightening. It was a jarring event that uh -huh. um, just put, a, put an exclamation point as to just how divided we are and how bitter mm -hmm. and how, uh, how angry people have become. That You know, we, we know that anger and bitterness, that foments in the heart, eventually it's going to lead to bad things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know what's, what's, um, what's interesting about that is, while I, complete with you, I completely agree with you that the storming of the Capitol was, was the wrong outlet for those raw emotions, but I, I was reading something just today on Facebook where a person said, you know, um, if there if there is stuff that's been going on um, that that is legitimate, you know, I, I can see why people would do what they did. Now, they, they, this person was saying that they didn't agree with the way that they that they handled it, but but I think you know you're talking about division. There's a lot of people when they say they don't trust the government, they also don't trust the media. They don't they don't trust what it is that they're hearing. So one group says, "Well, this is what I'm being told. I believe it completely." Another group says, "I don't believe anything that's being said." So there doesn't seem to be a place where there's an authority. 
one spot where you can find truth. Now, you and I know that there is that one place, but well, where but, is it? Uh, hey, just uh, let so you and I know, but what about the listeners? Yes, so do. tell us. We're, that, of course, we're approaching this from a biblical worldview. So absolutely, we know what we're yeah, talking about, and, but tell, flesh that out a little bit for us. Right. Well, and as much as I love Henderson Memorial Baptist Church, where I pastor, truth uh, truth is is uh, taught here, but it's not found in an institution. It's not found in a religion. It's not found in rules. It's found in a relationship with God through His Son Jesus Christ. That uh, we understood that we were separated from God because of our sin. That. God came in the flesh, died on the cross, made a way for us to be reconciled to a loving God. And so we can be in relationship with him and then with relationship with others. And so that's the only place in my whole life where I have found truth. And uh, and I found it. And that truth has set me free. And and you've experienced that same thing because we're brothers in Christ. We've talked about this. So. so truth, Jesus said that he is the truth, right? The way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. But throughout right. Scripture, he identifies with the truth. He emphasizes that mm-hmm. truth is important. Uh, yes. So uh, this this idea of truth, first of all, is something that is postmodern, that really anybody can know truth, that there is such a thing as truth. It's really just a—it might be a political question or a question based on your emotions. But you actually believe there is such a thing as absolute truth. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolute immovable truth. And, and um, you know, I think it's funny. Uh, so, sometimes people, well-meaning people, they'll, they'll they'll make these kind of silly statements like there's no such thing as absolute truth. And and then I'll ask them, are you abs- absolutely sure? <laughs> because if so, then you've just created absolute truth. And so, so truth, you're right, is very subjective, whatever it is that I'm feeling, whatever it is. that. But, but, but I believe the truth is only found in one place, and that's in the immovable, irrefutable truth of the Bible. Not just any religious text, but, but the Bible. The Bible is separate from any other religious text, which is probably for another show, but but uh, I, yes, absolutely. So, so, so the reason I'm dwelling on this idea of truth is because if we're going to talk about healing division, you need to have a starting point, and, and the starting point I think is truth. Can it? Is there division? Well, yeah, I think we can all agree on that. But is it possible to heal? And you and I, coming at this from the biblical worldview, would say healing is possible, but it ain't going to happen from the government. It ain't going to happen from the news media or from the educational realm. It's going to happen from the arena that you work in every day and the arena that I work closely with every day, and that's the the body of Christ. And uh, in this time, Ron, I I want to just take a step back before we unpack that to a greater Mm -hmm. degree. Tell me what you're seeing in Hopkinsville, in your local church, with the division, because you've seen it outside the church and inside the church when it comes to political division. Heck, when it comes to the division over wearing a mask, whether or not you should wear a mask, that's become a divisive issue with a lot of people. So what? tell me what you're seeing and, and um, what's going on there. Well, I, I the the thing that I see the most is is certainly the division is there, but politically, um, 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 ethnically. I mean, in, in every single in every single sense. Um, what I'm what I'm seeing is, is some believers are having a hard time processing um, their emotions with a righteous indignation. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, when Jesus chased the money changers out of the temple. He had a righteous indignation. He planned his attack, if you will. A whip was an instrument of offense, not defense. But he, but the Bible says he never sinned, and so it had to have been a righteous indignation. So I see a lot of people voicing their frustration, but 
but not doing it in a righteous uh, sort of a way. And and the easiest way to continue for there to be division is is just thinking if I'm louder and longer than than somebody else, then somehow I've won the day. I've won the argument. So sometimes we just have to do what James says and and be quick to listen and slow to speak. I think if we just have an understanding of where other people come from, we don't have to agree with it. You know, you and I don't agree on everything. Um, I'm trying to convince you that the Washington Redskins is the greatest football team to ever take the field, and I'm, I've not convinced you yet. No, brother. Uh, well, and I understand that. <clears throat> My Packers, um, just so you know, so since you brought that up, just just uh-huh. so you know, uh, it's still known as Titletown USA in Green Bay, I, Wisconsin. I, I 13 know. national champions more than any other team. You know, because they were winning national championships <laughs> before the Super Bowl even started, but but I yes, digress. So go right. go ahead. Yeah. So so you're not going to well, convince but, me in that area. <laughs> no, no, no. But but you know, and and we're obviously joking about this. But but listening to somebody else's perspective, and 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 you and see, even in defending your football team, you were animated and all, and I'm able to I'm able to hear what you're saying and understand how important it is to you. I don't have to agree with you at all. But as a brother in Christ, or or just simply as a human being, listen to what other people have to say, and you can even say at the very end of it, I I hear where you're coming from. I don't know that I. I agree, but but we just need to be civil, and I that's think the right. Holy Spirit is the only thing that's going to help us to do that. So, in the church, can we come to agreement as to how we're to act? You just you gave a, a scripture in the Book of James that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and also if you that passage went on to say slow to become angry, right? Yes. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. Right. And uh, so, so that, that's a biblical principle that in the church that we really should follow. Uh, but there's, there's other biblical principles uh, as well. I'm thinking in Colossians 4, 6, uh, uh, let your grace, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Uh, but so those are a couple of principles, Ron. Uh, you know, and I think of another one I'll throw out there is the idea that we're in a spiritual battle. There's a battle between good and evil, Absolutely. and uh, Paul tells the Ephesian church to uh, put on the armor of God, and it's it's not, he didn't say to strap a sword on your side or to put on a physical helmet and physical breastplate, but he said to put on the spiritual equivalence of those things. Right, He's saying, right. gird yourself for battle, be prepared for war, and then he says to stand, to take your stand. And in the church, uh, if we're not prepared, if we don't understand the times, if we're not prepared for the battle, well, guess what? We're not going to stand either. Yeah. And, you know, an interesting thing about about that is when you talk about the spiritual armor of God, things in the natural, things in the flesh cannot be carried into the supernatural, cannot be carried into into the heavenly realm. But the beautiful thing about it is supernatural abilities and gifts can be brought into the natural. So it's a, it's a one-way stream. So if we try to fight a supernatural battle with worldly strengths and abilities, we'll lose every single time. But if we fight a natural battle with supernatural gifts, then we're able to overcome. And that's the only way. That's good, Ron. And I want to go back to what I started to say and really didn't complete the thought, but can we agree in the church? Are there some basic Christian principles, biblical principles that we can agree on as far as how we engage? If we're going to bring about healing, are there some principles that we need to rally around and find agreement on to engage? You you know, the the whole thing, and I think the answer is an absolute definite yes. And 
the relationship we have with everybody, whether it's church members or outside, has to be fueled with the same fuel, and that's the fuel of love. Uh, Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, in verse 35, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So if we just simply treat each other as if we love each other. You know, one of the toughest things in the world is for a man to say to another man, Hey, brother, I love you. You know, because we were we were raised that that you know only certain type of people said that, and all the rest of that. Uh, you, you know, if, if I think if we if we treated each other, you know, and I'm I'm not afraid to say that. I'll I'll say to a guy just as easily I would. You know, I, I've said that to you. I'm going to hey, tell on you. Richard. You say that to me, and yeah. you know what? It it moves me. You know, you, we've said that to each other for years, but and it's not yes. in culture's eyes, it's not cool. But you know what? That's I don't yeah. care what. <laughs> what they think absolutely but you're telling absolutely. me that you care about me at a deeper level than just a friend like hey bro absolutely. hope you're doing okay yeah. no it's hey brother i love you appreciate yeah you. well and it's a ride or die sort of thing and when i have that relationship with you if there should be and we don't agree on everything but we've never had a major division but if we did it would be it would be undergirded with that foundation of a biblical love for one another, and so we would be able to process. So if we if we saw everybody, one of my favorite scriptures is when it says Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them as sheep without a shepherd. If we just simply saw people and had compassion on them, if we just did that, you know, then I, then I think so. Everything has to be undergirded with love, and then we've got to be able to say, I want to listen to your story, not I want you to hear mine. I want to listen to your story. And then I'd love to tell you mine, and let's balance it against what the Word says. So if we do that, then yes, this division can be very easily healed. That's good. Brother, that is good. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with Ron Hicks. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, Richard Nelson here with the Commonwealth Policy Center. It's clear that the news media isn't always fair. In fact, there's lots of far-left bias and political gamesmanship. No surprise there. So if you're looking for a perspective that's grounded in the truth of Scripture and our nation's founding principles, then get plugged into CPC's resources. Sign up for our e-newsletter at CommonwealthPolicyCenter.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Commonwealth Policy Center. And we're on Twitter at CPC for Kentucky. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson, Executive Director of the Commonwealth Policy Center, here with my good friend Ron Hicks, and we are talking about healing the division in our time. If you've not noticed, we live in a very divided, bitter age where we've grouped around our different tribes and our beliefs, and we more, more often than not identify uh, each other based on how we differ. It's not on what we have in common as Americans that we have First Amendment freedoms, for example, freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, freedom of the press. We no longer identify and rally around those things, but it's this. Are you a Republican or Democrat? Did you vote for Trump or Biden? Are you a Bible-believing Christian or a secularist? We end up dividing over these things, and it's really created a a difficult tension in our culture uh, that we're trying to process through right now. So, Ron, you had mentioned just before the break that as Christians, there are certain biblical principles that we should rally around. One of those is uh, that we ought to love each other uh, in the church, that you know, Jesus said that you'll, they, the world will know you by your love for one another. And uh, that's hard to do, though, right? Because relationships are messy. It's easy to get annoyed with somebody. Even And I'm talking in the church, in our families, <laughs> we get annoyed with one another. Absolutely. How, how, do, yeah. we, how do we move towards true love, uh, true 
um, care and empathy and compassion for uh, those, let's say, on the other side of the political divide. <laughs> they might hate our guts. How do we begin to show love towards them? I mean, by the way, well, I th- yeah, I, I'm sorry, but Jesus did no. say, love your enemies. And I'd say that in today's highly partisan age, it, many in the political camps, Republican and Democrat, see the other side as the enemy. So f- I'm speaking to those people. How, how do you, if you're a Christian and in a, of a certain political persuasion, how do you love somebody in that other camp that you view as an enemy? That, that's, that's a great question. And in the question, I think you gave part of the answer. You said, how do you, how do you move towards love? How do you, how do you, you don't, I don't know if you use the term seek love, but you, you gave very descriptive words. Uh, love is not a noun. Love isn't a, is, isn't a title. Love is, is a verb. It's action. And so how, how do you move uh, to be able to love somebody? Listen, in my, in my 60 years, I, I have determined that it's impossible to hate somebody that you're praying for. It's just simply not possible uh, unless you're living in the flesh. And so if you're praying for somebody and still hate them, <laughs> you got to figure out if you really have a relationship with the Lord or not. But, but uh, I mean, you, first, you, you've got to soften everything. You know, you, you talk about the, the whole idea of spiritual battle in, in, in battles of the flesh. Anytime America is going to be uh, aggressing against the country, you've got to soften that country up. So bombs, I mean, we've all seen that on the news where a place gets bombed to soften it up and then you go in. You've got to soften up a spiritual battle with the, with the bombs of prayer. You've got to be able to bathe everything with prayer. So first of all, you got to call. We got to call brothers and sisters of Christ to pray for people who don't think the same way that we do. We got to pray for those people who are on the other side of the aisle, or or on the other side of the the, the issue of abortion, or on the other side of the issue of a marriage, or on the other side of the the racial issue, immigration, whatever. Just start praying for them, and, and then as you pray for them, say, God, help me to be able to to love them in my actions. Yeah, no, that's good. And then, so you mentioned something earlier that that's really good advice. Uh, but, but you mentioned something a few minutes ago about civility. So after you so, so pray, uh, you start to actively love, but civility, where there's a lack of civility today, can Christians, believers who want to help heal the divide, and that's what we're talking about, can they model civility? Uh, is there a way that they can go about starting conversations that just show that they're respecting the other person, even though they might really disagree with them? How, I mean, is, is civility and modeling civility part of this equation, too? Hey, that's a great question. We, we have a, a, a real-life example right here in our church. Um, you and I talked before, uh, uh, and we've done shows, and you've done some educational things in our area. Uh, we were having a casino racetrack opening up in, our, in, our, in the backyard. And we had a, a member of our church who, who was involved in that whole process of, of encouraging that casino to come in. I met with this person. I told him I completely disagreed with them, uh, but I, you know, I, I love them in Christ and all the rest of that sort of stuff. I didn't want them to think that I was going to be a, a, a sharpshooter jumping out of the bushes or whatever. I wanted them to know where I stood, and um, and we did not agree on that issue. Uh, but I said, listen, when you come back to church, let's make an effort. Let let's let everybody see us greeting each other, saying hi to each other and all the rest of that sort of stuff, because to allow them to see, even though we differ in opinion, we don't differ in any other thing. I mean, she, uh, that, this particular person was a free moral agent. I am as well. We can decide to disagree, but that doesn't mean that we're enemies or that we hate each other. 
And so we we made an effort of being able to go and say hi. And folks knew where each other stood, but it's like, oh, look, they're, you know, they're, they appear to still be friends. And, and we were. Yeah. That's good. You modeled civility. You you actually had conversations, private conversations, and then you yeah. modeled civility. You you agreed to disagree. Uh, so civility is is an important element towards uh, bridging the divide and, and to bring about healing. I want to move on to another area, too, uh, and, and that is the role of the church. Now, we've talked in the beginning about the role of the church, what you do as a pastor. You're in the in all about the healing process, usually at the uh, on an individual basis or congregational basis. You're shepherding a flock, and you uh, bring words of life uh, from the pulpit. You're sharing God's truths and His principles. Um, but stepping outside the church, Ron, uh, what can the church do? I'm thinking pastors and mature Bible-believing Christians as they step outside the church and enter the public arena, which is scary for a lot of people because it's dangerous out there. It's like the bullets are flying every which way, so to speak. But uh, what would you say about those in the church and their finding their voice and speaking in the public arena? And when I talk about public arena, you know, city council, if there's an issue that comes up, maybe a potentially divisive issue, or let's say there's some kind of a letter to the editor war in your local paper, and that's kind of going by the wayside as we lose local newspapers. But as important issues come up, and then there's a venue that the issue's being debated in, how can the church, those, again, pastors and mature Christian leaders, engage in those arenas? Well, I, I don't, I don't want to offend, but I think my answer may offend some. Um, the the Bible tells us, and we just in our church have been spending the last month looking at this. The Bible tells me that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That we do not have a spirit of timidity, we don't have a spirit of fear, but we have a spirit of power and of a sound mind. And I think, um, I, I think that uh, either either people think they have the power and they don't. Or they've got the power of the Holy Spirit, but they're still babies. Uh, and, and by that, you know, the, the, the Bible tells us that when we be, first become Christians, we should crave uh, pure spiritual milk. But there's a lot of believers who are still on milk. They haven't moved to meat and taters. They haven't grown mature, and they haven't exercised that power. Um, and so there's a lot of people that, even though the Scripture is very clear, we have not been given a spirit of fear or timidity. There's a lot of baby Christians, whether they've been a Christian for 20 years or not, who still are living in the crib, still afraid, still uh, drinking from the bottle instead of growing and maturing in their faith, as the Scriptures say. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way. It's coming across negative. I mean that in an encouraging way that, that if we have been issued spiritual battle gear, babies don't fight battles. Um, babies don't fight battles. And so we, we need people to be able to, to enter into the fray, you know, um, and, and that means you got to live in the power that you've been given. Either we believe this stuff or we don't. You know? Yeah, we do. That's good. That, I mean, that's a good point. And that's a bolder answer than what I had expected. I mean, that we're empowered to do it, which implies that we are to do it. Uh, you know, so I think one of the challenges is just if Christians should do it. And, and you and I have talked about this on many programs, but I think there's still many in the church that would say, hey, I just want to keep my Christianity to myself. I don't want to get mixed up in the fray. Those are political issues after all. These are, but, so I know that that's the mindset, but here we're talking about this is the consequence of what happens 
when Christians refuse to build culture, when they refuse to live out their lives according to their biblical principles, when the church, and I'm talking about all of us together, when we have separated the faith from our living and from the larger culture, uh, this is this is the consequence. Uh, so we need to, Ron, we, we do need to re-engage, don't we? Hey, this is what I would love everybody to do who thinks that way. If people think that, that politics belong in politics and church belongs in church and, and there the twain, twain shall meet, or, or uh, some people said, you know, my religion is is private to me. It's a personal thing. I don't want to share. I don't want to offend. Try, try doing this. Go home and say to your spouse, say, listen, I'm only going to love you in the grocery store. Okay, I'm not going to love you if we go to the bank. I'm not going to pretend like I know you. I'm not going to pretend like because I don't think our relationship should be carried into our business life. So if we go to the bank and we go to these places, I'm not going to pretend like I don't have any relationship with you. Now, if we go to the grocery store, we go to the sporting goods store back at home, I'll act like I have a relationship with you. But but only so it's only going to be a part. How, how do you think that would go over? Yeah, not well. It, you'd, you're going to be sleeping on the couch. And that's right, what's going to so, happen. But we're going to, say to, we're going to say to God, listen, I'm going to have this private, intimate, intense relationship with you where I declare to you that you are the Lord of my life. But, God, it embarrasses me a little bit to be able to carry that aspect into the voting booth, into the, the conversations over the fence with my neighbors and all the rest of that. So I'm going to pretend like we don't know each other in those situations. Yeah, How do you think good. that honors yeah, God? Yeah, that's, that's that doesn't, and, and it's not going to go over well. But what happens when we follow that mindset is that uh, – and I've said this before – that we have, a, we have an opportunity to engage the issues while they're in the public arena – or if we disengage and don't do anything, we can wait for these issues to come and meet us in our churches. And when that happens, these issues will come in the form of broken lives. And that's where we are now. There are a lot of hurting people, a lot of wounded people, because of the failure to really articulate well and to, and to live out a biblical worldview well uh, in that public arena Ron, we, we are just about out of time. In fact, we're, we're out of time. I wish we could go on a little longer. But Brother, uh, we have a big job before us. The, the world is hurting. There's division. Uh, and there needs to be healing. And uh, yeah. it's up to the church, isn't it? It's up to the body of Christ to initiate and to lay down its life and to engage the world, engage the hurting people, to bring the love of Christ to those who desperately need it. Brother, good, good talking with you. Good program. God bless. Enjoy your day. My pleasure. God bless you. Thank you, listeners.